Good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. Get your Bibles out. I'm going to jump in Luke chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. Okay, we'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, and uh, especially if you'll read it on a regular basis. And there's, there's a note sheet on the back of your bulletin. You can follow along. That's to prepare you for your small group. Um, if you're not yet in a small group, it's not too late. I hope that you'll get in one. Uh, if you want a menu of the small groups, we have them at our welcome desk, and we can t- you can pick one up there that will show the small groups that are available, times, days, and uh, man, I really, really hope that you'll take this eight-week journey that we're doing together, not only um, here in the corporate worship service, but in your small groups. We're doing it together, and I think this is today's sermon is an important one in the life of this church, and, uh, and I, so I, I want to share this, okay? Uh, when I was praying about this series almost a year ago now, and I uh, wanted to do a six-week series as I usually do in, you know, kind of September, the beginning of the school year, uh, I wanted to do it on evangelism, and I just felt like as I prayed about it over the year that there was a couple sermons missing that I wanted to give more handles around the series, and, uh, and so through friends and, and prayer and other things, some things came together in my heart and mind, and one, one of the sermons I added to make it an eight-week series was last week's sermon, and, uh, and then over, over the spring, there was still something to me that I wanted to add, and, and, and really that was this week's sermon. And as, so as, I, as we discussed the topic this morning, I want you to know that as I was praying about it and as I had kind of decided that, hey, this was the sermon topic that I wanted to add to the idea of evangelism. Uh, sharing the good news of Christ, my wife actually sent me a sermon that she heard online at a very, very large church in Texas called Watermark. The pastor's name there is, is JP. They have a sub-ministry called The Porch. And so, uh, and, and so I borrowed heavily from that. And I just tell you that to say, you know, if you ever listen to that, you'll be like, oh man, I've heard that before. I'm not, uh, there's no new ideas, right? So that's my, if this was a paper, I'd footnote it, okay? So this is the footnote. I want you to know that on the, on the front end. Today's sermon is weighty, all right, and, and it should be weighty, and you're going to leave here feeling the weight of the sermon today. Uh, my hope is that there may even be some tears in this room. My hope is that as you discuss in your small groups, your small groups feel the weight of the subject matter. My, uh, you know, we just sang about, man, I see, I see a great revival. I think the reason we haven't seen a revival in this generation in America is because this topic has been ignored from the pulpits of America. And so at, at Coastal, it will be ignored no longer. It's, it's rated, it's, it's emotionally rated R, okay? So it's going to be emotional. I'm not going to say anything I think is rated R, but I want, you to, want to prepare you. There may be a few PG-13 comments this morning because I want to grab your attention. I want, I, want, I want you to be aware of the language that we use in our culture, and I want you to feel it. So I tell you that because I know a lot of parents bring their children in here. So right now, parents, as you look around, I'm just giving you the FYI. So if you want to take them out or check them into our children's ministry, I, I would encourage you to do that if that's what you want to do. I'm, so there it is. I wouldn't be offended if you got it right now and said, yeah, well, let's maybe do that today. My goal today is... Um, you guys that have been here enough know I use a lot of humor. There, there won't be a lot of humor this morning. My, my goal is for there to be an, an appropriate sense of urgency. That's why I titled the sermon Urgency. Um, 
if you brought a guest this morning, right, if you brought a guest, you know, whenever you bring a guest, this will be the, my little bit of humor this morning. If you bring a guest to a church, you know, they find, you know, your neighbor or family member or whatever, you've been inviting, you've been inviting, and they finally come, what's the biggest sermon you fear will be preached? Money, right? No, money, money. Every time I preach on money, someone comes up to me and they're like, hey, uh, I brought a guest this morning. I'm like, oh, I'm preaching on money. So I've got really good news for you. I'm not preaching on money this morning, all right? You've come hell week, okay? So uh, there you go. Um, it won't be money. Um, I've never dedicated an entire sermon to this topic. Never dedicated an entire sermon to this topic. I think it's the decline of this topic in the American church. I think probably we've swung too far, right? My generation, well, you don't want to go to church and preach fire and brimstone, right? And so churches have swung the other way, and we never talk about it anymore. And I'm going to address that. So, so my goal is if, if, you're, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, uh, my hope, my ultimate goal is that you would leave here a Christian. That's my ultimate goal. But at bare minimal, my hope that you leave here with an appropriate fear of the Lord. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so if you want to be wise, not in your own eyes, but wise in God's eyes, it starts with an appropriate fear of who our God is. The God of the Bible is not a God to be trifled with. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian already, then my, my goal for you, and the reason I preached this sermon in the evangelism series, is for you to leave here with an appropriate sense of urgency around the people that don't yet know Christ. Amen. Now last week we put these, we did post-it notes and, uh, on our prayer wall, right? And I encourage you, hey, name three people that you're just going to begin to pray for, people that to your knowledge are not yet Christians, and, and you, we, we began to pray. Just so you know, FYI, we, we put the post-it notes on the wall, and by Tuesday morning, they were all on the floor, okay? So we printed them out. They're in alphabetical order, A to J, and then whatever comes after J to Z. I don't know what comes after J. So without going through the whole alphabet in my mind. So there you go. Um, so there you go. It's K, right? Is it K? Okay. All right. That's my last joke. Um, and so if you want to look for the people you're praying for, if you're here this morning, you missed last week, this is a reminder to pray for people who don't yet know Christ. You, there's some pens available. You can come up and after the service and, and write some names of people that you want to begin to pray for. But to be clear, I want believers to leave here with, with a sense of urgency. Now to be clear, Jesus discussed hell or alluded to hell in his teachings more than any other prophet or person in the Bible. And I want to let you know that when you may leave here today, you may disagree with me. And listen, I would tell you, 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 will not, you can leave here today and you will not have to look far for people that would disagree with what I'm going to say this morning. A quick Google search and you will find plenty of teaching that disagrees with what I'm going to say this morning. Because there's different views of hell. There's what I would call the naturalist view. If you, you buy into evolutionary theory, then you believe that humanity has evolved from animals and they don't have a soul, and so when you die, you just die, right? That's, that's the naturalist view of things. There's the annihilationist view of things that would tell you that hell is not eternal and you eventually you pay for your sin and then at that point your, your soul is destroyed. There's the universalist view of hell that says everyone eventually, given enough time in eternity future, gets 
into heaven. Uh, there's the view, the Catholic doctrine of purgatory, that we go to some place where we work off our sins until we can get into heaven. There's the view of reincarnation, which is the idea that, you know, if you live a good life or bad life, however that life lives, you come back a second go around. So all of us are here, we've been here before, and, and you just kind of get your degree of reward or punishment in a second go around. This is Hinduism. We, and by the way, this has creeped its way into Christian culture to be sure, right? Right? When we say, well, when I come back, I'm going to come back as, right? And when we say that, you just, you just be aware that's good Hinduism, all right? That's come into your vocabulary. And, and I hope you say it as a joke and, and understand that it's not the biblical view of what happens after death. So I'm just telling you, there'll be people, plenty of people this morning that will disagree with me. You can go out there, you can find them easily, but I want you to understand that if you listen to someone that has an unbiblical, divergent, or unbelief in hell, you will not be listening to Jesus. Jesus taught on hell, and he taught on hell frequently. He alluded to hell frequently. This morning, I'm just going to read Luke 16. It's a parable of Jesus. I know some of you are like, it's a parable. It's just a story. Yes, but uh, my pushback would be Jesus is not trying to trick us here about the afterlife. Okay? It's not like a trickery. It's not a bait and switch. He is trying to use a story to teach us about what comes next. And by the way, this is the only parable that Jesus, and Jesus uses a lot of parables, this is the only parable where he uses a, a proper name. There, he names a name in the story, and the name is Lazarus. Usually he's a rich man, poor man, there's Samaritans and, you know, good Samaritans and robbers and these kind of stories. This is the one where he uses a proper name, and that, I think that is meaningful, which we'll get to at the end of the sermon. And so here's what Jesus said in his parable. I'll just read it. It says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered in sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came, and he licked his sores. And the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died, and he was buried. And, and in Haiti... Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side and he called out, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you're in anguish. Besides all this, between us is between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from here from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Abraham's response is, they have the, the Bible. They have the Word of God. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. By the way, this man in Hades knows the gospel. It's right there. Resurrection of the dead and repentance from sin. 
And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. I'm just going to go through and answer some questions this morning. I, 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 this one's a statement. I wish I'd made it a question. What is hell? Ready? Hell is horrible. Hell is horrible. Hell is characterized by suffering, and torment, and fire, and darkness, and lamentations. There's, there's desires that this man has, that he, basic desires that can't be quenched. Pastor Joey, uh, we may have put this on the screen because he wanted, uh, he, he encouraged me to put this on the screen so you could write in your notes. Not only is hell the absence of God's blessing, but it is the active presence of his justice and wrath. See, here on earth, there, we talked about this last week, we talked about general revelation, right? There's, there's a general goodness that we all share in believers and unbelievers. People who are going to heaven and people who aren't going to heaven. Where there's still things that we enjoy together, the blessings of the Lord, right? So, like, we all can enjoy a good wedding party. We all can enjoy a good sunset. We all can enjoy some laughter. We all can enjoy holding a baby. We all can enjoy playing with a puppy. We all can enjoy sitting on a beach, everybody, but in hell, man, just even the general, not only are the general blessings of God gone, but he is actively there pouring out his hatred and his wrath on sin. ACDC has it wrong when they say, man, all my friends are going to be there too. This is not a hollow scream party. When you look at another person and you say, you can go to hell, you're wishing something upon them that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Rich man says, babe, just cool my tongue. Which leads to my second point, man. Why don't we ever talk about it? Why don't we ever discuss this? You know why we don't talk about it? It doesn't feel loving to discuss it, right? Sean, you're, man, you're being weighty. To, like, this doesn't feel good. I thought, I was discouraged when I came in. I thought we were, you were going to encourage me this morning. It, it, the reason we don't discuss it is it feels more loving to tell everybody they're going to end up in heaven. One of the things I do as a pastor, man, I probably more than any other profession besides maybe the medical field, you know, is you deal with death, you deal with funerals. I do many, many funerals every year, and, um, and to do a funeral for a believer, someone that loves Jesus and really plugged into their local church, man, to do that funeral is awesome, man. It's a celebration. I know they're with Christ, but... But sometimes I do funerals where I get called in, I don't really know the person, I don't hear any testimony of Jesus in their life, and, and in that funeral, inevitably I hear, man, they're in a better place, and I sit there and I go, I, I hope so. 
I don't know if you've ever been to a third world country. I've been many times, right? And so I want to use an illustration that will help get your head around what is the most loving thing that we can tell, tell someone, because I think it's the fact that we think it's unloving to talk about hell, and therefore we never discuss it. Have you ever been to a third world country? I know I have been, and, and whenever you go to a third world country, man, and, and, and you get to the, you've been there for a week or two or whatever, you've served on a missions trip, and maybe you've been there on business, right? You've done your thing, and then you, 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 you come, you get to the airport, right? And sometimes you get to the, the third world airport and you can't read the language, you can't read the signs, but man, you're eager. I'm like, I want to get home, man. I've, I've missed my wife. I've missed my kids. I've missed the blessings that America offers, right? The comfort of my known surroundings. You get to that airport, you just, you can't wait to get home and, and, and you got to get on the bright plane to get you to Norfolk to get home, yes? Or maybe DC, wherever you're flying to, but man, I, I got to get to Norfolk, I want you to imagine now that you're in this third world airport and you're there by yourself and you don't know any of the signs. You can't read it because it's in a different language and you, and you see concourse upon concourse of, 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 of planes and you don't know which one you need to get on to get to Norfolk and you look dazed, you look confused and, and a friend of yours comes up and they, you, a person speaks English comes up and says, are you okay? You look like you're dazed and confused and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get home and I can't read the signs. I don't know which direction plane to get on. And, and man, I'm just, I, I just want to get home, man. I want to see my wife. I want to see my kids. I want to see the, enjoy the comforts that I'm used to. And the person puts their arm around you and they lovingly say, pick any plane. Any plane will get you home. Really, any, pl- any plane, just get on one and you'll get home. Man, thank you so much. You hugged that person. I, can't, I didn't know that any plane. And so you go and you get to the first one on the first concourse on the first ramp and you get on that plane and that plane takes you to North Korea and you end up in jail. Was that person loving or unloving? Like you could have pushed back and said, well, that's great. I guess all planes go to the same place. Or you're in the concourse, right? And you look confused and you're trying to find your plane to Norfolk so you can get home, be with your family and be with your comforts. And somebody says, you look dazed and confused. I am dazed and confused. Listen, I'm trying to find, I need to get to Norfolk, Norfolk International Airport. I need to get there. And the person puts their arm around you and they say, D7, you want D7. You got to get on D7. D7 takes you to Norfolk. You push back and you go, well, that's so exclusive, man. I, like, there's a lot of planes here. They all have cockpits and wings and seats, engines. Like, no, you need D7. If you want to go to Norfolk, you got to get on D7. Which one of those people was loving towards you? One told you the truth. Yes? The one that told you the truth, the one that was loving enough to say, no, you're not anyone, it's, it's D7. Listen, when it comes to eternal matters, that's why there's so much weight in the room this morning. We are discussing eternal things this morning. This is, this is not a trifling sermon. This is not every day's Friday sermon. This is about eternal matters of where the soul is going to exist forever and ever and ever. The most important truth that I can give you this morning is Jesus Christ is D7. And by the way, Jesus was quick to talk about the seriousness of hell all over the New Testament. 
And by the way, this particular parable, the two stories that precede it have to do with money and divorce. And then he tells this story. We don't like to talk about it because it feels unloving. Second thing, third question, third point, second question, who deserves to go to hell? Who deserves to go to hell? Ready for the answer? Everyone. Everyone. Every person who has ever walked the planet Earth deserves to go to hell. Every person deserves the just and eternal punishment of our God with one exception. That was His Son, Jesus Christ. Every single one of us has rebelled against the holy character of God. And the truth is, we love our sin and we love our rebellion, and if not for the Holy Spirit awakening our hearts to the grievous of sin, we would all be at the ACDC concert, phone raised, lighter going, man, I'm on a highway to... I hate that song. That song gives me chills as people celebrate it. And when we talk about hell, we ask the question, man, who deserves to go to hell, right? What do we do? What do if you're like me, and this is what I did for many years, if you're like me, where do you draw the line? You draw the line right in front of you. <laughs> I mean, I suspect we could, most of us would probably agree, yeah, Hitler... Yeah, Hitler deserves to be there. Saddam Hussein, probably, we could probably get some, you know, a majority agreement on that. I suspect if we talked about people that harm children physically and sexually, like, I think we'd all go, yeah, they, they probably deserve to go to hell. What about parents who used words to slay the hearts of their kids? Because I've done that. There's people in this room that you're, you're dealing with just words that have hurt and wounded at levels. and There's no sexual abuse or physical abuse, just words. And you're still trying to cope with those words that hit your mind. And I've dished out those words. Does that, does that include me? What about sexual sin? Like, where do we draw the line on sexual sin, right? Cheating on your spouse? Do people cheat on their spouse? Do they they to go to hell? I mean, I think we'd probably agree, man. They're, they're bad. And if you run in the right Christian circle, right, the right Christian circle, they'll celebrate the idea that the line's in front of me because the, only those who practice same-sex sex deserve to go to hell. So we, we go there with that one. And but what about pornographers, right? Do they, do they deserve to go to hell? What about those who have sex before they got married? The Bible, Jesus talks about fornication, having sex before it's in the confines of marriage. Do they go to hell? Is that a sexual sin? What about those who just, you, know, you read the sports page online and you scroll down and 
there's those thumbnail pictures at the bottom that you enjoy looking at. Like, that's lust. Jesus talked about lust. And you look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery. Like, do they deserve? What about those who perform self-sex upon themselves? Do they deserve to go to hell? Like, where's the line? It's really arbitrary. Usually stop it in front of us. Right? The purpose of the, the Ten Commandments is not... Yes, for us to know what God's character is like. Yes, for us to try to live up to them, especially when we're gifted with the Holy Spirit. But, it, but the Ten Commandments is to hold a mirror up and tell us, man, I fall way short. The demand for heaven is not to be good. The demand for heaven is to be perfect. And the Ten Commandments is to remind us none of us gets in. Right? You shall have no other gods before me. Anybody live any moment of today where God wasn't the supreme part of your existence of why you got out of bed, your purposes today? Anybody? Anybody this week take the Lord's name in vain? Use it frivolously? Or God forbid you attach the word damn it, God damn it. Hopefully you have a a new appreciation of what you're saying this morning. Keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath? Keep it holy. Anybody not rest completely in the Lord? Young people, any of you dishonor your parents this week? Anybody murder with their words by putting down another person? Anybody commit adultery this week? Jesus took that to a new level, right? If you look at a man looks at a woman in lust, he's committed adultery in your heart. Anybody do that this week? Stare a little too long? Anybody do that on the way into this building this morning? Everybody satisfied with everything you have this week? What you have, who you are, the amount of money you make, the position at work, the size of your house, the kind of car you drive? Or did you look around at others and go, man, why do they get more than I get? Or did everybody stay satisfied all throughout the week? Because if not, you're a coveter. Like we draw arbitrary lines around who deserves God's punishment. And, we, and we're real sure, we make real sure that line stops in front of me. And by the way, hell's locked from the inside out. The rich man doesn't think he deserves to be there. The rich man even knew the gospel, verse 30. He doesn't repent of his sin. The rich man's still bossing people around. Hey, tell Lazarus, get dip my finger. Tell Lazarus to go to my brothers. Who deserves to be in hell? The answer is every single one of us. Every single one of us. Which leads to my fourth question. How does a loving God send people to hell? Uh, this, is a, this is a wrong-headed question on two, two counts, okay? Count number one, it's the wrong question entirely. Because if, assuming you bought into what I just said, assuming that you understand that the Scriptures teach in order to go to heaven you have to be perfect, and none of us is perfect, and therefore what all of us deserves is the just punishment of the Lord, okay? Assuming that you have now a full understanding of the Ten Commandments and the weight of the Ten Commandments upon our hearts and souls, assuming all that to be true, then the real question that we should be asking is, how in the world does God save or take anyone to heaven? That's the real question. The real injustice, the real thing is we should be going, man, that's not fair. 
is that God would allow anyone to be in heaven, and then that lends itself to a second question, which we're going to answer in just a moment. What would be the cost to God for sinful people like you and I to go to heaven? Yes, that's the question we should be asking. So that's problem number one with the question. Problem number two with the question is this, ready? It's found within the question itself. How do we know that God is loving? Anybody? How do we know God is loving? How do we know? The Bible. It's not written in the sky. It's not written in nature. How do we know that God is loving? Jesus loves me. This I know for the what? It's a really good song, by the way. It's really good doctrine. So how do we know God is loving? The Bible tells us so. Ready? What else does the Bible say? What did Jesus just teach us? We don't get to leaf through this thing and go, man, I, I like that one. I'll pick that one. Man, I could do away with Luke 16. It's a little heavy duty, you know. Pick and choose, pick and choose, pick and choose. We don't get to do that. The Bible tells us, yes, God is loving. How is he loving? He's loved us in Christ. We're going to get to the gospel in a minute. He's loved us in Christ. But it also tells us our God, this God of the Bible, he is an awesome God. He is not a God to be trifled with. He is just. He is holy. He is righteous. And his judgments will be right and true and eternal. So you don't get to sit here this morning and pick and choose the morality that you want to pick and choose. You don't get to pick and choose the exclusivity of the gospel and say, no, there's multiple ways to get to heaven. You don't get to pick and choose the pieces that you like and leave out the other pieces. The only reason we know God is loving is because the Bible has told us so. Yes, Christian? The reason God can be known is because he graciously chose to reveal his word to us, and we do not get to pick and choose, which leads to my final point, and then we'll do a so what. Who doesn't go to hell? Okay, let's get to that point. Who doesn't go to hell? Well, in Luke 16, verse 30, the rich man defines it for us. He says, No, Father Abraham, but if someone would go to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Who doesn't go to hell? Those that repent and believe in the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. It starts with repentance of sin. It starts with an acknowledgement of need. It starts with an acknowledgement of rebellion. It starts with an acknowledgement that I need to be saved from the penalty of my sin. I need saving. I am broken. I have a need.
If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you know the gospel, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, let me explain the gospel to you. Does God love you? Yes. Does God want you to spend eternity with him? Yes. What is the mechanism for that to happen? It's his son, Jesus Christ. He loves you so much that in order for you not to eternally experience his wrath, he wrapped his son in flesh. He sent his one and only son, his beloved son, Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He walked this earth and he practiced the Ten Commandments perfectly. At no point in his mind and in his heart and in his behavior did he violate any of the Ten Commandments. He kept them fully. He's the only person that didn't deserve the penalty of sin, which is death. Yet in that, he was crucified. And it was a bloody, brutal death where he bore God's hatred of sin. If you want to know how much God hates sin, you look at the broken, bloodied Jesus Christ with a crown of thorns, a whipped back, and a crucifying, excruciating death. That's how much God hates sin. And he hung his son on the cross. And as his son hung on the cross, remember what he said? He said, my God, my God, why have you, what, church, forsaken me as he bears the wrath of hell for us, forsaken of God, the wrath of God being poured out on him. And then three days later, they laid him in a grave and the grave couldn't hold him. He rose again, authenticating his claims to be the Christ. By the way, the Christ means the Messiah, the special one sent from God to save us from sin. They laid him in a grave. The grave couldn't hold him so that we now have the hope of eternal life that he authenticated that he's the only way to God. And when you repent and believe in him that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God, all the, all the 10 commandment keeping of God called God's righteousness is now gifted to you by grace through faith so that when you believe in him, you now have the righteousness of God credited to you. So no longer are you sinner, you're now saved. That's the gospel message. Okay? And some of you will leave here today in your unbelief. And you are without excuse today because you just heard the message of Christ. You just heard how God loves you. He loves you in Christ. And if you choose to step over his message and his method. You, you choose to walk in your sin and unbelief, looking at God, saying, I don't need you. I got this. And here's the irony of unbelief. We see this in the story where Abraham says they won't even believe if someone comes back from the dead. Guess what? You sit on the other side of the resurrection of Christ in, in history. And so if you sit here today in your mortality, that you're going to die one day, if the preached word of God, they have Moses and the prophets, that's enough, and the historical fact that Jesus came back to life, if that doesn't convince you, then nothing else will. And by the way, we see this in Scripture, okay? So this is where the irony of Jesus using the name Lazarus in the parable because there's a real story of a guy named Lazarus. It's a friend of Jesus. Jesus is in another town, and his friend Lazarus dies. 
actually finds out Jesus gets word that he's sick, and Jesus says, oh, let's stay here. He's not dead yet. Interesting, right? He lets him die. He shows up, and Mary and Martha rush out and say, man, I can't believe that you, you, know, you didn't come here sooner because Lazarus would have lived. And that's where we get the beautiful verse in John chapter 11, verse 25, where Jesus says, man, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me, even though they die like everyone else, yet will they live. And he raises Lazarus back to life. And then I want you to see this belief and unbelief. John 11, verse 45 says this. After Lazarus was raised from the dead, it says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, they believed in him. So Jesus raises Lazarus, and people begin to say, Man, Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 53, a couple verses down in John chapter 11, says, so These are the Pharisees. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. I want you to hear this, okay? All of us is going to get a funeral one day. God sent his son Jesus on the earth. He raises the dead. So here's a guy that can keep you from dying. And what does the blinded, sinful heart do? We got to get rid of him. How foolish. One chapter later in John chapter 12, it says, When a large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. Like, here's Lazarus. He's like the circus show now, okay? Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Let's go see what's, what Jesus is doing, right? And so the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Who doesn't go to hell? Those who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Each of us has a choice to make this morning. If you're in earshot of me, it's belief or unbelief. I'm in, or this story's got a bunch of hocus-pocus to it. But you are trampling over your mortality, the Scriptures, and a dead guy coming back to life. And you're going, eh, it's a small thing. Here's the so what, two so what's. Two so what's. I don't know what your notes look like, so I'm reversing the order here. I want to talk to Christians this morning. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, man, what if we took this seriously? Man, what if we took it seriously that every single person we walk past, every single person we know, is going to spend eternity in one of two places? Would that change your prayers this week for the three people we put on the prayer wall? Would there be a fervency to your prayers? Would there be some extended time in your life or maybe turn the TV off or the radio off or put the book down or turn the computer off and you just pray, God, this person, my, my child, my aunt, my uncle, my parent, my grandparent, my neighbor, my coworker, the restaurant, they don't know you. And eternity is in the balance, God. God, use me this week. Loose my tongue. Help me not to be fearful. Help me open my mouth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Past couple weeks, two campuses running somewhere between 15 and 1,600 people. It's probably 300 adults, so that probably makes it about 12 to 1,300 people. We'll less out the children, okay, about 300 children. That leaves us somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,000 adults. What if a thousand adults took this serious this week? 
prayed for our 3,000 names that should be on these boards as we're praying and seeking the Lord. Man, I bet we'd pray differently. I bet we'd be more engaged in our church, right? I mean, think about this. When, you, when you're talking to someone and they don't know God and you say, what do you usually do? Hey, come to church with me. Well, I bet we'd be more engaged in our church. We'd take our ministry seriously. We'd show up on time. Every person that walks through that door that we don't know, we would just maybe just welcome them and say, man, I don't know where you are in your life, but man, I hope they leave here today knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get this all the time in our membership class. Like, I have people like, why haven't you joined us? Why haven't you linked on with us? You know what the excuse I hear most often? You guys ask for a tithe. What? Well, I tithe, but I give it other places. Great, give 20% then. Because none of us is going to stand before the God of the universe. He's going to go, man, I, you gave way too much. Ah, you were so generous. Holy cow. Like, link arms with this body of believers. This is a gospel outpost on the peninsula proclaiming how people can find eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I bet we would be more intentional this week. I bet some of you will sit down this week and write a letter to a loved one that's not local, right? A parent, grandparent, child, and just say, I just, just want you to know I'm praying for you. Here's the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. I, I want you to know Christ. I bet you'll walk past your neighbor differently this week, right? They keep blowing their stinking leaves on my yard. You know, what kind of, that dog, they let that dog poop in my yard. I've had that, you know. I've done that. And we'll think differently about our neighbors, will we not, believer? And we will loose, pray to loose our tongues and say, listen, I, I've, I know Jesus, and I've got to tell you this incredible news. God does love you, and here's how much he loves you. He sent his one and only son. And if you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian you have heard the gospel message clearly articulated this morning. God doesn't have another salvation plan. He's calling you to turn from your sin, confess it, turn from it, and believe in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Believe in Him today. I'm not telling you to clean your act up first. He takes care of the cleanup. I'm telling you to say, be willing to let go of the sin and trust Jesus, and when you do, His perfect righteousness is gifted to you by grace through faith, and now God no longer sees you in shame and sin and guilt and punishment. He now sees you as a perfect follower. You're now declared righteous. You're declared perfect, sinless, because God now sees you in Christ. And he bore hell for you on the cross so you wouldn't have to go there. He substituted his son and then he rose again so that you would know that heaven is for real and you can be with him forever and ever and ever, living with him, living without sin and living under the constant eternal joy and blessing of God. I don't want you to miss out on that this morning. Don't miss out on that. He promises both the abundant life and eternal life. I want you to know Jesus. Because Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the what, church? I'm the truth. By the way, this, Jesus makes the exclusive claims, not me. 
He's not just a good prophet or a good teacher. He doesn't say all paths lead to God. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to the Father today. You want to get home? You want to find purpose? You want to have abundant life? You want to have eternal life? The most loving thing I can tell you today is D7. Gate D7. Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and follow Jesus Christ. He's the only way home. Let's close with prayer. I invite the worship team up. Holy Spirit, you're working on someone right now. There's someone right now that doesn't know you, and you're working. You're, you're probing. They're feeling the weight of their sin and the desire to be free from the weight of that sin and to know your salvation plan, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, don't let them leave here today without knowing, without repenting, without believing. That's your work. We talked about that last week. You're the seeker. You're the saver of the lost. We've presented the gospel this morning clearly at Coastal Community Church, but God, I want everyone to be saved. No one needs to leave here today and not know the good news, the love of Christ, of God in Christ. And so do your work. And for those in this room that are believers, God, we, we need a renewed sense of urgency. We have sat quiet and we have sat comfortable and we have lazily gone through our lives for too long, God, self-included. We're talking about serious, serious matters of eternity. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know how we can sing this song we're about to close with, God. Hosanna, God, please save without a renewed sense of understanding this morning. Please save our neighbors. Please save our loved ones, God, our children. We shout, we pray, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Do your work today. In Jesus' name, amen.